Now, privacy and secrecy are two different things. Privacy is locking the bathroom door when you want to take a pee. Secrecy, on the other hand, is locking the door because what you are doing in a bathroom isn't what people usually do. And sometimes, uh, after privacy has had a few drinks, you might decide he wants to spend the night with a secrecy just to explore their relationship. But where can they be together without people peeking in through the curtains? Well, usually in an offshore company. That way, someone looks in a the window, they see an empty room. And the window and the room could be in two different places. Yeah, the window could be in the British Virgin Islands and the room could be in... Uh... China. Goes all the way to China. My attorney gonna call it collect. <laughs> we might need all need. <laughs> can't even talk. We all might need an attorney one day, right? Gosh, I hope not. Um, for making uh, content on privacy and security, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? How's it going, everyone? Hope you're doing well. This is Simon for the Closed Network Privacy Podcast, episode number eighteen, recorded today, Friday, September twenty third, two thousand twenty two. A lot going on, a lot going on in the in the world. We've got uh, the Iran protests going on. Um, actually, I just set up a Signal proxy uh, server, Signal proxy server for uh, the Iran hashtag. Hashtag Iran is Signal proxy. If you want to um, obtain that URL from me, you are welcome to DM me on Twitter. I also posted it in our Matrix chat room. Uh, which has been pretty lively, actually. Well, the last two days has been a little quiet, but it's been pretty lively uh, since we set it up. Speaking of, I want to give a special thank you to Maddest Max and Unintelligent7 for stepping up to help moderate inside the uh, Matrix, Matrix chat room because we have had a few, you know, a few bots and things go on in there, and it's. Uh, They've been really helpful, help you know, answering questions and managing the bots and people. So far, we haven't really had any problems with anyone being a, a total jerk face. But in the event that that happens, uh, yeah, you'll be kicked out. So just be cool, be nice to everybody. Uh, no, no, uh, no real motivation other than to help one another with our security and privacy journeys and that's what this podcast is all about that's what i'm trying to build i don't really uh i don't really have any other motivation or desire to convert anyone to anything else other than just convert you to privacy being a uh, sovereign individual on the internet as much as possible so thank you maddest max on intelligence seven i really appreciate your help uh the the matrix chat room has been uh, a great place for all of us to come together share ideas we get a little nerdy in there from time to time but there's a lot of general questions that are being asked and we all try to do our best to answer them and help help each other out things are a little different uh from country to country when it comes to financial transactions operating systems mobile networks things of that nature so things that work where i am at in the united states may not be available in other countries so i'm trying to find out from other people in other countries like what solutions exist which would be a good alternative to say something like privacy.com or mint mobile i know there's some european countries and i'm not familiar with this this particular topic i just know that it's a little bit harder to get anonymous phone service sometimes you have to show your id and things like that to get uh, cell phone service so there's going to be some different challenges depending upon where you live in the world most of the people that listen to this podcast are in North America, either uh, United States or Canada, uh, from what I can gather. Uh, but I know that there are people overseas that listen, and hopefully there are some alternatives we can find to help you out. 
Um, I also want to say thank you to the people who have uh, streamed Satoshis, which, which are uh, basically denominations of Bitcoin, through uh, the Podcast 2.0 platform. So Turquoise Panda, Bon, Bon, you're in the um, in the Matrix chat as well. Thank you. User 420, because, you know, it's always 420 somewhere. Uh, and if you say it's not because of the time, you're wrong. It's always 420 somewhere. <laughs> um, Lion Digits and Sergeant Apple, thank you all for your streaming donations. Greatly appreciated. And, and uh, I am thankful and I'm grateful. And I appreciate that you are using the 2.0 platform to stream Satoshi's. For those that have no clue what I'm talking about, um, these are people who are using a Podcast 2.0 compatible application. You can go to newpodcastapps.com and see which apps are out there and may be available for your device. Some of the ones that I've used are Fountain, Podverse, and the Breeze app, B-R-E-E-Z, which is available in all of the uh, stores for your mobile devices. And it can also be used as a point of sale if you want to sell something for crypto. It all runs on Lightning Network. You can uh, purchase Bitcoin if you want to use KYC, which means you'll have to verify your identity. I recommend Swan or uh, Strike. Uh, Strike is great. You can purchase you know, however much money you want to help support creators, and then you can immediately transfer that Bitcoin right to one of your podcast 2.0 compatible applications and then stream Satoshis uh, or boost them, basically donate through while you're listening to the, you know an episode, you can actually donate in real time. You can put in a note sometimes as it's a boost gram, uh, as you're a, you know kind of a uh, way to communicate. You know, like hey, great show or love your show. Uh, if that all sounds way too complicated and you'd like to support the show financially, uh, that's always appreciated. You can head over to closednetwork.io. You can hit the buy me a coffee. There's um, crypto donations as well as a Patreon. Uh, set up so i will be working on patreon content as well i don't have any at the moment but patreon is set up and that will be one area that i'll probably try to kind of push more than anything because i think it's an easier way for uh, people to enter in to support their favorite content creators because there's several of us on uh, patreon i say us i, I kind of mean a group of people that are on patreon that do privacy security content you know related content so um anyway thanks for all of the donations and thank you mattis max and unintelligent seven again for helping out in the matrix chat room if you'd like to join that the easiest way would be to download the element app you can go to element.io or just search for element it's a little green icon in your uh, favorite app store it's also available on fdroid so if you have a degoogled phone you can just search for it there once you have it installed, then just head over to closednetwork.io and click on Join the Matrix. Uh, join us on Matrix, and it will automatically launch the URL and then should launch the application, the Element application, to join the server and introduce yourself. Say hello. Uh, you can also send messages uh, on the contact page at closednetwork.io. If there's anything that, uh, any feedback you want to relay or a question you might have that you are not comfortable sharing in the, uh, in the group chat, that's totally cool. Feel free to also follow me on Twitter. The links are on the webpage. Closednetwork.io is pretty much a hub for everything. That's kind of the easiest way to, to do things moving forward. And uh, reach out. Also, if you uh, want your question read on the podcast and let me know because i'll i'll uh, gladly do that um, working on ways to for people to submit audio questions as well i think that'd be kind of fun so uh i have been experimenting with uh oh so yeah what i'm going to talk about on this particular episode just <laughs> if you made it this far i'm going to be talking about my experiment with invisive and pgpp uh, i want to say thank you to max b from the invisive team uh, the PGPP team who has been on our uh, matrix server answering questions for us and kind of walking us through some uh, configurations and whatnot. Uh, not really configurations, but helping with something that got, got kind of screwy with somebody. Uh, Rooster had a problem. Rooster 795 had a problem. And uh, Max B was there to help uh, help him out. Or him, her, them, I'm not sure. Help them out. So appreciate the... Uh, I appreciate that we have someone from their team in our in our group chat helping us along the way. So I'm going to talk about um, another invis invisive uh, PGPP that I set up. Um, also going to be talking about testing out some different uh, servers for 
writing up some guides on what might be an easy route to do some self-hosting at home, maybe on an old computer that you can repurpose. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm also going to talk about NT, which is a uh, an application that is focused on backing up your photos and your uh, your 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 photos and videos from your phone. It encrypts it locally and backs it up. Um, you're going to touch on Notes Nook, which is another cool little app I've been playing with. Uh, there's a lawsuit filed in the Northern District of California against Meta. Um, also, I'm going to be talking about some updated features with Bitwarden and uh, email masking. Hopefully, I can get through all this. And hopefully, and the last one is um, we were talking about this particular podcast, Malicious Life. Uh, there was an episode put out on September 13th on the Malicious Life podcast. And some questions were asked where, you know, we were kind of like, you know, eyebrow up when we, uh, when this was brought up about hacking multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. And I did listen to that podcast and I I just want to kind of mention it briefly, uh, my thoughts about it, not, not, not to bash on the podcast or anything or the individual on the, on the episode, but just some thoughts. So first things first, I'm going to get into my experiment with, um, PGP. PGPP, I should say. Pretty good phone privacy. So I'm trying to find a way, experimenting with setting up the kind of like most um, a non-pseudo and non-phone that I could for as cheap as possible. Uh, so I did this. I'm actually looking around my desk. Here it is. It's a, it's a Google Pixel 3a XL. Okay. Now, before anyone says, Simon, it's not supported. I, I know that, right? And I actually was tweeting about this, and I believe someone from the GrapheneOS team even reached out and I, you know, said, hey, it's not supported after May 20, 2022. I know that. I know that. But this is an experiment. I used my own money to buy hardware to experiment with, and I knew that the 3AXL was rolling out of you know, security support and everything else, but it was cheap. I was able to get this thing under 100 bucks. And my recommendation would be to probably find something that's, you know, cheap, maybe a 4A or a possibly a 5 or a 5A Google Pixel device to do this on. But this is what I was able to find local and I paid for it in cash. And it works fine. So I purchased a Google Pixel 3A XL from someone in cash locally under 100 bucks. I think it was like 90 bucks. Uh, yeah, 90 bucks. And which is probably too much <laughs> to pay for a phone that's no longer supported through security updates, but whatever. Uh, so then I went to a coffee shop with free Wi-Fi. They have very fast internet because you're going to need to have a pretty good internet connection to download the ROM. Because the first thing I want to do is enable the developer options. Right? You want to make sure the phone is OEM unlocked, and the way you can tell uh, if that's possible is if you go to the settings. And you go to system and then you go to, um, actually is it system? Let me see. Actually you go to about, you go to, uh, the about phone and then you spam the build number seven times and it should allow you to unlock the device or put it in developer mode. In which case then you should be able to enable OEM unlocking as well as enable uh, USB debugging, which is what you're going to need to, you know, flash the phone. So at the coffee shop, got the phone. Uh, you also, before you do that, you want to run any available updates on the phone. And then I flashed Graphene OS onto it using the Wi-Fi connection. I used the web installer on the Graphene OS website. It works great. It's worked well for me every time I've, I've used it. So then what I did was I went into, when you install um, Graphene OS, Pretty much, you've just got the basic apps that come with it. And there is an app called Apps. And when you open that, it will allow you to install some of the Google Framework services. And you're going to need those because you're going to need to enable the um, uh, eSIM activation, like installation on your phone, uh, which you can do when when you have it installed. You go to Settings and you go to Network and Internet. uh, And then there's going to be an option that says Enable Privileged eSIM Management. And you need Google Play, uh, the sandbox, you know, Google Play installation on the phone. And I, that's fine because I wanted to get to the Play Store anyway. So I installed the Google Play uh, services and then I downloaded the PGPP application. 
and then what I did was I um and and just just for those that are wondering the stuff before is I just set up a, a BS Gmail account so that I could just download the app from the official Google Play Store. Just set up a you know throwaway Gmail account, created a password, threw it in Bitwarden so I could remember what it was. I'll never use that email address for anything ever. Uh, I just needed it to get into the Google Play Store. You do not need to set up, at least I didn't need to set up any kind of billing information. It will get you to try, but you just skip through it. And as long as the apps are free, uh, it, it, let, it let me download and install PGP, PGPP just fine. Now, um, so I activated that. You need to be connected to a Wi-Fi network of some kind, some sort of internet connection. You want to do this with no SIM card in the phone, right? We don't want anything tied to the phone. And then what I did was I used a prepaid credit card, right? Paid in cash that had been aged about six months to sign up for the $40 a month service. Everything worked fine. And then what I did was uh, tested it out. It actually connected to an LTE network. I enabled the uh, private relay on the device. So cool. Now I've got a phone. Uh, it, it, it did the eSIM activation, like in the background and it didn't do it like the normal way you'd see. And I took some screenshots. I'll be doing a write up and kind of posting a, a blog article about how I went about setting this up. Um, and so, you know, as long as that um, eSIM privileged eSIM management is enabled in your network settings, this, this will work fine. So what is the point of all of this? Right? So paid for a phone in cash, the original e, the eSIM was, is probably registered to the original owner who bought it. Okay, fine, cool. What I did was I installed Graphene OS so that I can control every aspect of the device, privileges and all that kind of thing. Got Google Play Framework installed so I could do the eSIM installation and download PGPP. Set up PGPP. They don't ask for your name. They literally just ask for the credit card info and the billing zip. That's it. They don't ask for the name. They uh, PG Invisive that and the PGPP is the app. They, I believe they're an MVNO, which is a reseller for AT&T, I believe. So one of the questions came up like, well, if you have a phone with, you know, something with, with this running, with the, the MZ number can be changed. Uh, the MZ is the subscriber ID. Doesn't that set off an alarm to the carrier? Uh, my feeling is perhaps it does, but also perhaps it just looks like a hotspot on their network. And Invisive is an MVNO for AT&T. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure it's AT&T, so I'm just going to say AT&T. I'll, I'll correct that if I'm, if I'm incorrect later. But I don't think AT&T gives a crap because they're not managing the subscribers on their network. It's, they're just selling access to their network and their towers. Um, and because the, and the, the, the phone doesn't actually have a phone number or you know, any way to make phone calls or send or receive text messages. So it's literally just looking, it's just data. It's just a data connection on the network. So by changing your MZ number, I don't really think it's going to throw any flags. And if it does, I don't really care. Uh, there's no way to really tie it back to any anyone specifically. If they really wanted to, they could maybe tie the IME I, which is the serial number on the phone, back to the original purchaser. But I mean, you'd have to be doing something really nutty. I don't know, you know, to, 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 you know, uh, generate that kind of interest in you. Because what I did was from there, I just downloaded and installed my pseudo app from the app store and then just, you know, set it up with another phone that already had it installed. You just do the export, you scan the QR code and it just imports all your, my pseudo accounts. And then boom, now I can make phone calls. I can send in and receive text under any of my pseudo profiles that I want. So this phone is now a fully functioning phone using my pseudo to make and receive phone calls and text messages. But all, and all the data is going through a private relay through Invisive uh, tied to an account that doesn't have my name on it or anything. Now, I'm not saying that this is perfect and I'm not saying that you can be invisible, right? I mean, you to a degree, this is the most kind of anonymous phone that I have been able to set up thus far. And you may ask yourself, well, why would you go through all of this? Like, what is the point of all of this? Because would you use this for your daily driver? Maybe. Honestly, I would consider it. Um, Invisive has a plan for $90 a month with um, an unmetered you know, data connection. I think the $40 plan, which is what I'm on right now, I think it's somewhere around like two or four gigs a month is how much data you can use. But if you wanted to use it as your daily driver and really protect 
as much as you could your digital footprint out there. Um, maybe you're a journalist, maybe you're an activist, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the situation is that would, you know, it doesn't really matter. Maybe you're just an everyday person and you're, you're tired of the tracking. This would be a way to kind of circumvent a lot of tracking on you. Now, could there be a problem at some point down the road? Maybe. We can't foresee everything. This invasive PGPP software has only been out for a couple of months now. We've been talking about it on the podcast and in the, in the Matrix chat room. Uh, but you know, it's, it's pushing the limits, finding ways to be as, ex, as, as private as possible with a mobile phone, which is inherently not private, uh, by, de- by design of the, you know, whole setup of everything where you walk into a store, you give your ID and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is pretty close. So, so far it's been working out really well and, um, I will kind of continue using it and I'll report back. Uh, for those that are wondering what the MZ changing thing I'm talking about is, is that the MZ number that the phone broadcasts is what is the subscriber ID. And that's what's being sent along with some other, obviously, data to the cell phone tower. So let's say you were going to go to a protest and this was your protest phone and or a community event that might be under surveillance of some kind. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now where a lot of three-letter agencies or nation states are trying to capture who attends what where. I mean, this is how they caught a lot um, of you know the January 6th protesters um, is through MZ data, you know, information that was gathered through open source intelligence and as well as subscriber IDs and phone metadata. So... Um, if you were, and I'm not, I'm not promoting anything or anything. I'm just saying like, this is, this is how this stuff is used. So if you're a protester or you're a community organizer, or you're someone that's kind of bringing interest to your, your movement or your cause, you might look at something like this, uh, as your device that you carry with you to communicate without leaving your digital footprint everywhere. You can change the MZ number at will up to a certain amount of times per month, depending upon your plan. With my plan, the $40 a month plan, I think I can change it seven or eight times. Uh, with the $90 a month plan, you can change it, I think, 30 times. So you could literally change it every day. Um, and it's kind of like changing, you know, what the identity is on the network, right? Your IMEI will always be the same. But again, the IMEI is tied to some original owner somewhere. And I'm not make and the IMEI isn't tied directly to a phone number that I have my name on because I don't even I don't even receive calls on this except through my pseudo, right? So, anyways, um, so far it's working great. Why might you be interested in a device like this? Maybe you know someone who or yourself. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what the situation is? Maybe it's um, a bad domestic situation. Maybe someone who's Phone is being monitored by a spouse or a partner who is overbearing, over-controlling, and this person needs a way to communicate uh, without that kind of you know snooping or surveillance. Um, a phone like this would be good because you could set this up pretty quickly and then just put it in their hands and say, like, call me in an emergency or text me. Uh, or if they need to get a hold of a lawyer or something like that. You never know what situations people are in where, you know, they – they might need that kind of help. And for us knowing kind of how to set these things up, maybe someone's, I got a stalker, you know, and I don't know, you know, it could be any number of reasons. I just want to know how to do it because it's fun. I think it's cool. And, you know, the more you experiment and the more you try things out and you push your limits, I'm not saying that this would be great for everyone to use every day, but if you know how to do it in certain situations, it could really help people out. Um, as, I'm in a space that's kind of interesting, right? That a lot of big tech companies don't really want us putting out this kind of material because we're generally telling people to avoid big tech, avoiding uh, downloading apps, avoid the surveillance because this is how they generate their revenue. This is how they make money. Um, You're the product. You and I, we are the product of using these services. Even when we spend hundreds or thousands of dollars over you know, several years on mobile devices and paying for cloud storage, whether it's through Apple or through Google, they still turn around and make as much money as possible off you by targeting you with ads. And they know which ads to put in front of you because they're tracking you through all of your behaviors and apps that you download and queries that you put in. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to try to circumvent that and put the power back into the individual 
uh, down to your device and not only just what applications you use or services you use, but also how you do things online, creating new passwords through password managers, using email aliases, using encrypted communications to talk to friends and family, uh, scrubbing metadata on photos before they're posted online. So, you know, these are the types of things that just not to, you know, get people to stop using things that are fun and ways to communicate, but doing it in a way that keeps ephemeral information or data like purely just, you know, ephemeral. It's gone after after the conversation's over. It doesn't get stored in someone's server forever and ever. So I will keep you posted on how this is going, but so far it's going well. I know that I'm doing it on a phone. That's not going to, you know, get some after may uh but it was it was fairly inexpensive for me to set up and try out and i would recommend this setup i would do it on a phone that's a little newer like i said pixel 4 pixel 5s you can pick those up usually for around 150 or less i recommend buying them used if you can paying for them in cash i mean they're probably going to be used because they're they're kind of old phones now but what i meant was paying for them used like in cash or some way that kind of uh, masquerades your identity versus like buying it online with a credit card or something like that. Um, so as far as testing setups, uh, I mentioned at the beginning when I was going through the rundown, I'm not going to go too far into this because I actually have a server that I bought off eBay. Thanks to some recommendations from people in the matrix chat. Uh, I picked up a Dell Optiplex for like $160. It has a core I seven 3.2 or 3.4, I think uh, quad core processor in there. And it came with 32 gigs of Ram doesn't have any hard drives. I'm going to go ahead and get those. I want to put new hard drives in the kind that I want, but the purpose of this is to set up a home server uh, testing out different software suites that I can recommend for people to try out. Now, they may or may not be open source, depending upon the level of difficulty, right? I am a lover of open source software, but sometimes it m- makes a little more sense uh, for things that are really difficult to just pay for something that's that works well. And I'm not talking about a hosted service or something. I'm talking about something you're just going to run in your house. So I'm going to try out TrueNAS. Um, I'm also going to try out Open Media Vault, as that came as a recommendation from, I believe, Rooster uh, Rooster 95. Sorry, I think I called you Rooster 795. It's Rooster 95 in our chat. Thank you for that. I'm going to check out Open Media Vault, TrueNAS, and Unraid. I have a buddy that's been running Unraid for a very long time, and it's got a really nice, slick web interface. You can connect external devices. You can deploy servers like NextCloud or Plex Media really easily through Docker images through their interface. So it's kind of the one that's like I'm attracted to just because I know how well it works. But I do want to try out some of these other solutions that are free and open source uh, because that's what we're about. I'm going to try it out. But if it's really fantastically complicated to set up, I don't want to pitch that as like an easy way. If you're already a tech person, then you probably already know how to do that. Uh, So part of what I'm always trying to do is I'm trying to bridge the gap between doing things that normally would be kind of complicated, but making it a little bit easier for people that are not, you know, Linux admins, uh, that they're, you know, something that they're comfortable doing and trying out on their own and solving some problems for themselves. So uh, we're going to be taking a look at that. I also have been playing with an app called Enti, E-N-T-E, very very cool little service. And actually, I'm going to open up the app on my phone real quick while I'm talking about it. So what they are is they're, they're a f- video and photo backup service. That's all they really focus on. But everything's encrypted on device before it's backed up. And their plans are, are actually quite affordable, depending upon how much data you want to back up. So you can set it up to do like automatic backups uh, for your photos and videos, and it keeps it in the original quality. So it's not doing any like crazy compression or doing anything to uh, make the file sizes smaller. It just does the native file. And then it has basically from there, it does an an encrypted uh, with like zero knowledge backup to multiple locations. And they have uh, phone and desktop installs. So their plan started a dollar a month for 10 gigabytes and then it goes up to five dollars for 100 gigs uh 9.99 for 500 gigs and they have a two thousand gigabyte two terabyte plan for 24.99 a month so 25 bucks that's a lot of data and that's if you're paying monthly 
Uh, it looks like you do get a little bit of a break if you pay for per year uh, versus per month. Uh, it looks like you basically are paying for the for ten months and getting two free. It's kind of like what their pricing model is. Um, so I've been trying it out just on the on the basic plan, uh, the ten. Uh, what is it? Ten dollars a year for ten gigabytes. Um, the the so far I, I like it a lot. It, it works on Graphene OS. It's worked on my iPhone, and their apps are everywhere. You can download it for desktop, including Linux, Mac, and Windows. It's available in F Droid, Google Play, and the Apple Store. So if you're looking for a way, I know that there's some people out there who might be looking for a way to transition out of maybe the Apple ecosystem. Sorry, is my making noises dropping my headphone cable? Uh, but the photos may be a big challenge for you to get out of. So this might kind of help bridge the gap. Like if you're able to kind of manage your contacts yourself or, or with a Nextcloud server and maybe your calendar, uh, that's what I was able to do for my mom. I, you know, I have her set up on my Nextcloud server, so all of her contacts, her calendar, her notes, stuff like that is all synced to our next our, our Nextcloud server. But the photos can be challenging. Now, granted, you I mean you can do up auto upload to things like Nextcloud and stuff, but it does it in a weird file format that's not exactly the best recommended route. And I know there are other photo solutions like locally hosted that we'll look at down the road. Um, I know like Prism and a couple other ones are out there. There's some open source ones uh, that are available on GitHub that I want to try out, but they're self-hosted solutions. So you'd have to have a server or you'd have to set up a server to do that. This is something where you can just download an app, set up an account, pay your 10 bucks or however much you know you need depending upon your plan and then just start automatically doing it and it's being backed up somewhere where you can access from other devices and it's all encrypted locally before it's uploaded so they have zero knowledge of what your content is about so if you got those really spicy you know photos with your partner when you're down in Cancun and you got the good topless stuff going on you know you don't want those photos being scanned right you don't want those photos being on Google servers or Apple um, you really probably don't want them on any servers but if they're going to be anywhere they should be encrypted locally first now we've talked about this in the past you can do this today like if you're using Dropbox or Google Drive I recommend using Cryptomator or uh, a Veracrypt or something to encrypt your files locally and then back them up to a cloud uh, server provider because at least they can't see what the hell it is. They're just hosting some file for you. But this is done in a way where you can, uh, you know, seamlessly do it and not have to do all that stuff beforehand. You're going to pay for the service, but again, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. So I recommend trying out some of these different things. I, I'm not recommending NT specifically for any other reason other than just that they are privacy focused. So I, if I'm going to pay for anything, I want to give my money to privacy-respecting companies, companies that are trying to make a living by helping people maintain their data integrity and their privacy. Um, so if if you know self-hosting, it isn't for everybody. It's kind of a pain in the ass. I'll, I'll admit it. I mean, it's it keeps you up. You have to run updates. You got to make sure you got your backups. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into self-hosting. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, man, Simon, I really want to do some like steps to increase my privacy. Well, maybe this is one. Maybe you get away from using iCloud and maybe you get away from using the Google backup stuff and start um, picking services that solve some of these problems for you and pay for it. And then you, you know, making sure you're using a, a password manager. We recommend, we, me, recommend KeyPassXC, uh, which is a local one, or if you're going to use one that you need some sort of cloud connection for, Bitwarden. I recommend Bitwarden. Bitwarden's open source. You can self-host it. They support the cause and it costs like 10 bucks a year. It's, it's fantastic. On the topic of Bitwarden, by the way, on September 13th, I just read an article they put out. And so they have some really cool uh, integrations with third parties uh, that you can use to generate not only just uh, unique passwords for every login, but now unique email addresses. So if you log into your Bitwarden account online and you click on tools on the generator tab, click on the username uh, option. It says, what would you like to generate? You can click on username and then you can click on the advanced options, right? <clears throat> and now they integrate with simple login, FastMail, Firefox, really, and a non-daddy. So if you have an account with one of those service providers, you just log into that service. You go to your account, you generate an API, 
an API key for that account, and then you put it in your Bitwarden um, API key field, and then you can now start generating unique email accounts with that service provider along with your password all in one shot. How freaking cool is that? Data breaches happen all the time. Hacks happen all the time. So if you're using the same one or two email addresses all over the internet, you know you might be you know using a password generator. Hopefully you are. So if that service is breached and that information gets out, well, that information is only good on that one site. But now they also have a piece of content to create like a primary key to correlate off any other data breach, which is your email address. So if you can get to the next stage, which is using unique emails along with unique passwords on every website and a data and a site gets breached or hacked, well then maybe they can get into your account on that one site, but it's not good anywhere else because you didn't use that password or that email address on any other websites you have. Um, so yeah, cool pro tip with Bitwarden. Bitwarden, thanks for incorporating that. That's awesome. You know, because I know they listen to my podcast. Sure they do. <laughs> Another cool app I just want to mention was is Notes Nook, N-O-T-E-S Nook, N-O-O-K. Just been playing around with it a little bit. It's just another uh, app that allows you to encrypt locally and then have a backup for your notes. I'm still kind of a diehard Standard Notes fan. I've been using Standard Notes for years. I love it. Uh, it's just a way for you to um, create notes and organize them and tag them and do different things, but have it all encrypted. So, you know, if you're going to keep usernames and passwords outside of a password manager, which hopefully you aren't, but if you are, you want to do it somewhere where that that there's a vault. Uh, there's there's private keys that are stored locally, and no data is being transmitted uh, that isn't encrypted or even you know in this case uh, encrypted on the device. Uh, before it gets backed up somewhere, so uh, it's just it's just a it's just something of, that I've been playing around with. Notes Nook. If you have any interest, check it out. I'm not making it a recommendation or anything like that. It's just something that's kind of cool. Um, another thing I just wanted to mention was um, uh, there's been some movement on this lawsuit I've been tracking with uh, Meta, and I want people to be kind of just aware of this. And, and why I'm even bringing this up. I'm actually trying to find the lawsuit information <laughs> as we speak. I'm going to have to go from memory, I think. Basically, I think in the, in the Northern District of California, there's a lawsuit being filed by Facebook users against Meta. Meta is the owner, the company, parent company that owns Facebook and Instagram, WhatsApp. And they're being sued because their in-app browsers uh, have been tracking people and not just tracking individuals but tracking what they're typing in by injecting javascript into the browser itself and on the page you're able to see keystrokes and you know where where you're scrolling and so it's it's really a a big over overreach on on privacy because you know apple i think in 14.5 ios release started um allowing users to not track uh, not be tracked using different apps. And that kind of, you know, I mean, plus one for Apple for for doing that. But from a corporate perspective, a lot of these advertisers, these companies, I call them advertisers. Facebook is an advertiser. You know, you may look at them as a social network, but they're just an advertising company. Um, they're they're kind of like basically locked out from tracking, tracking users, uh, like location and stuff like that. So, they got privy and and updated their apps to when you click an app inside their app. Oh, no, I'm sorry, when you click a link inside their app, it opens a browser inside that application. So like if you're in Instagram, you click a link, it like View Shop or something like that, it'll open a browser inside Instagram. And now they're tracking what the user's doing and they're trying to pull information is like that you input into the screen, whether it's your name, your address, phone number, like maybe you're buying something or something like that. So it's not just that you're giving it to the retailer. If you're buying a product, meta is also getting all of that information as well, which is really not cool at all. I mean, imagine someone just looking over your shoulder every time you open a browser inside their app and everything you do is not only just monitored, but but saved. Um, so yeah, there's a lawsuit. And the good thing about lawsuits is that with lawsuits come subpoenas and with subpoenas come discovery. 
And with discovery comes, you know, hopefully information that the public uh, can access once the case has been concluded. I would be curious to see that. I, you know, maybe we'll see nothing. Maybe nothing will come of it. I don't know, but it's definitely worth mentioning because this practice has been implemented by a lot of app companies, uh, including like TikTok is notorious for that. Um, Obviously, Instagram and Facebook, and I'm sure other apps as well are using these tactics to try to harvest as much data as possible on all their users. So one way around this is if you are a Facebook user or you are an Instagram user, I recommend not using the app, like not downloading the app to your phone, but instead just using a browser shortcut and using the Progressive Web App, the PWA. The Progressive Web App version, like the the website version of like Instagram or Facebook is almost so good, you wouldn't even know the difference between that you're not using a native app and a browser. And the nice thing is, if you're using inside of a browser, you can then control uh, what the what the you know what they have access to so whether that's like your ip address your accelerometer um your contacts and all these they can't just invasively jack all of that data from you um it would have to be explicitly granted as you're doing it through the web browser and not through an app that generally has more privileges on your device so anyways something of note i'm following it i think it's interesting and yeah Last but not least, as this we're getting at 41 minutes, trying to keep this under an hour. I am. Um, we were talking about uh, in the in the Matrix chat uh, podcasts and things, and then Malicious Life came up. Malicious Life is is a cool podcast. I like it, and they they had a guest on. Actually, is the guest's name is the guest's name on here? Um, uh, let's see. Roger Grimes, a veteran security professional and data-driven defense evangelist, claims the sense of security current MFA solutions provide us is false. So I listened to this podcast. It was pretty good. I mean, it's a pretty good podcast. This episode wasn't so great, in my opinion, just because it seemed incendiary a little bit, um, a scare tactic to get you to listen, maybe, talking about how multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication was basically useless. But all of the examples that I heard uh, from this researcher, from this, you know, uh, Roger Grimes, was that uh, it was a, there was some sort of assumption that a device had been compromised already. So, like, SIM card, the phone had been SIM card jacked, so two-factor authentication with SMS was, you know, insecure. Sure, of course. I mean, if you've been SIM hijacked, like... But that's not like necessarily the fault of 2FA as far as like a layer of security. It's just that you've been more hacked than the average person. I I promote the use of two-factor authentication. Yes, SMS is pretty terrible. I mean, if that's your only option, it's still better than nothing. Because then to get hacked, they'd have to hack your SIM card too and then and SIM jack you and put it into a different phone. Um there's a lot of steps that are being assumed here in order for 2FA to not be uh, a safeguard, a good, a good safeguard or a good, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, checklist in your toolkit to, to use. So if you can register an account with uh, your email address and your password, which are hopefully unique, right? You're using a password manager. And then you also have another layer, which is two-factor authentication, which at a minimum, maybe you're using like Google Authenticator or Authy, um, but higher up, maybe you're using a YubiKey or some other hardware device uh, that generates the token for, for your login to be successful. I mean, you know, they'd have to have your username and password. If you get 2FA on your phone, they will have had to have simjacked you or have some sort of Malware installing your phone that forwards it to another location. Um, if you have a hardware token, they would literally have to clone it somehow. I mean, his thing is like, well, some people take screenshots of the QR code to generate their their, their two-factor authentication token, and then they save it somewhere. I'm like, okay, maybe, but uh, most people probably just take a picture of it, and they're not doing a screenshot and then saving it somewhere. Where I mean, I don't know. It, it just seemed like... It just seemed a bit incendiary, and I'm only bringing it up because it's a pretty popular podcast, and it came up in our chat on the on the Matrix server, and I don't want people to feel like, oh gosh, is two FA worthless? No, I don't. I don't feel that it is. 
nothing is perfect. Anything can be reverse engineered. Anything can be hacked. Given enough time and talent and resources, any anyone could be easily targeted. And, you know, yes, break through 2FA. Yes, break through your email and password and stuff like that. But generally, for most people that are not a target, uh, are going to experience some sort of potential identity theft or something like that because there was a breach somewhere. And if there's a data breach with your username and your password out there and you have 2FA enabled, no, no one's going to spend time trying to go after you specifically. Generally, they're, they're, what happens is, is hackers will use scripts to, to try to log into websites with like a database that they have. And the ones that get in successfully are then the ones that go to the next stage, right? They're not spending a lot of time on ones that didn't work. And ones that didn't work would be the people who went and immediately changed their password uh, or deleted their account or have two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication. Um, so, if, you know, because my, my, in my opinion, if you didn't, hadn't had a, cha- a chance to change your password, let's say 1-800-Flowers.com, right, which is a website in the United States where you can order flowers online. Let's say they had a data breach and your username and password is exposed. Uh, a, if you went and changed your password, well, now it's useless information. I don't know if 1-800-Flowers has two-factor authentication. Hopefully they did. But let's assume they do, and you had it enabled, and someone had your username and password. They could log into the website. They, would, they could try, but then there'd be another layer. Oh, you know, please enter your access code. You know, text, text it to you. Or, you know, from your, from your uh, two-factor authentication app. They're not going to try any harder beyond that. It's just not worth it. It's not worth their time. There's too many other possibilities that probably will work rather than waste time on the, this this one person who now has MFA enabled. So I don't know. It's just my two cents. I feel like the more that you, the more fences you put up, the harder it is. Um, and if you're a target, then you're kind of screwed anyway, right? <laughs> so, um, and if that's the case, you're, you're living a completely more secure life than the things that we talk about on this particular podcast. Now, I like exploring where, those, where, where that could go. And I think that a lot of people would be interested in how far they could go, even if they don't plan to go there themselves. But I think by and large, most people are just like trying to, you know, dodge the average script kitty out there who's trying to hack into a bunch of accounts with some sort of you know database that they got from a hacker forum or from the dark net somewhere from from a from a recent breach that's just trying to log in as many accounts as they can and see which one sticks so don't let that deter you from using 2fa use 2fa use a hardware key if you can uh the yubico yubi keys are my favorite they're the ones i recommend it's a little bit more of a cumbersome because you have to you know have a physical device on you uh, like on your keychain or something like that, as opposed to just a soft app on your phone, like Authy or, or Google Authenticator. Um, I know that there's some other other good solutions out there um, that just slipped my head. The open source one, it starts with an A, Aegis. A- I think it's Aegis, A-E-G-I-S. This is a great one. I think that one's available in F-Droid. Um, so whatever you use, just use something. Uh, but it's you know, don't let these kinds of stories or podcasts deter you from from using them because I think that uh, they could definitely save your butt in a bad situation. So, wow, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I really kind of wanted to just cover my experience so far with um, this particular Pixel Three AXL with PGPP. It's rocking. Um, I have other things written down. I, I just I will push that to the next podcast. I'm going to really push to have the podcast bumped up to a weekly um, podcast where I'm getting episodes out every Friday to hold my feet to the fire on that. I'm going to try though. Cause I really, I think that um, if I could be more consistent, it'll help me. And I'll also help uh, listeners know when to expect the show coming out. I get hit up on time, you know, uh, on Twitter and in matrix like, yo, Simon, when's the next show drop? And I'm always like, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, so I'd like to try to mitigate that as much as possible by having a, schedule that i can adhere to um so anyway thank you for listening thank you for your support um feel free to share with your friends feel free to support the show if you can uh there's a lot of cost that goes into this and it is my dream one day to do this part-time or full-time uh doing stuff every day every week that would be fantastic but in the meantime i'm going to keep grinding away and i appreciate all of you and i hope all of you are finding 
ways to protect yourself as you move through this journey, you know, in your in your quest for privacy and security. And if you're not as nerdy and you're not as hardcore as some of us, that's totally cool. I really nerd out on this stuff. I go way beyond probably the points, you know, that I really need to. Uh, but it's just to, just to know where the limits are, where um, you know where the where the walls are that I'm going to hit. Um, I think some of the challenges are as well that some of the things I talk about do require some technical know-how. I don't know how this is going to work, but sometime down the road, I'd like to find a way to maybe connect people together who can help each other out. So if someone wants a next cloud server or something like that, um, maybe it's something that I can set up for them or someone from... Uh, the matrix chat or someone within our trusted circle that could help provide some of these solutions. If and when Raspberry Pis become available again, which are small, low power uh, ARM computers, I'd like to, you know, get some, um, get things installed and people can just buy them from me directly uh, that aren't comfortable setting things up themselves. Maybe they can experiment and try it out. Uh, Same with phones. Um, I've done some phones in the past and sold them online. Uh, you know, it's kind of a pain because there's a lot of money that I've got a front up front to get devices that run anywhere from three to $600 a piece and then wait for people to buy them. But I do also want to be available to help people who don't have the technical expertise to do some of these things themselves, but they want to use these devices. Um, so, Anyway, that's just food for thought. I'm not trying to solution that right now. It's just something that I'd like to be able to have worked out at some point down the road to help bridge that gap. Uh, so I hope everyone has a great weekend as this is coming out today, Friday. And whenever you're listening to this, I hope you have a fantastic week. And I'll be working on the next episode for for next Friday. Until then, catch you all later. I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again. See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch. I'm setting the stage, you should give me my props. You ain't got a soul, you lacking the spirit. You talk out your neck, I'ma show you I'm with it.